Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, hoping we'll find each and every one of you in good form. I'm assuming there's going to be a huge extra push for people to get vaccinated. This is following the very sad news that a man in his late 40s has died after contracting uh, measles. And I think most of us, when we talk about or think about measles, we think about measles in our own uh, childhood when it was very much just seemed to be a childhood uh, illness. But we forget that for some people, measles can be really, really serious and you can die as a result of contracting uh, measles. But of course, we have had since the introduction of the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine we haven't seen. You don't hear of a lot of people getting uh, mumps, uh, mumps, measles or rubella anymore. But unfortunately, uh, measles is starting to spread again. Now, all we know is that this gentleman is from Westmeath and he's believed to have recently travelled to Birmingham. Now, what's important about that is that Birmingham, along with other parts of England, but Birmingham in particular, has recorded an, a number of outbreaks of measles. So the theory is that he possibly picked up the measles while he was in Birmingham. Birmingham. Now he became unwell and he was only diagnosed with measles when he turned up at, at a hospital in the Midlands and that was when he returned home from his uh, trip. So the HSE issued a statement uh, yesterday saying they've been notified of the death of this adult male uh, with confirmed measles and it's the first confirmed measles cases case notified in Ireland in 2024 and that'll just show you we have so little measles outbreaks that this is the first for 2024 but the fear is now that there could be more and the HSE in their statement their public health teams uh, along with the HSE measles national incident management team they now say they're taking all of the necessary public health actions in relation to this case of this gentleman who has died and that HSE measles national incident management team I was thinking I hadn't heard about them before they actually were only recently established and that was in response to the outbreak in measles cases in the UK and in Europe and then when they saw what was happening a across Europe, but particularly when this all was happening in the UK, they decided to set up this incident team because so many people travel over and back uh, that, you know, if measles is in Europe and if measles certainly is in the UK, it is going to come to Ireland. And now we have our first confirmed case. We know if nothing else, we know that measles is highly contagious. So people who recently came into contact with this gentleman who has died, the HSC are now trying to trace them, although they're saying it's unclear if it'll be possible to contact everyone who this man 
was in contact with. So there could be people out and about who have been at risk and don't realise that they're actually carrying um, carrying measles. The HSE says, you know, went on once again to talk about the fact that it offers the MMR a vaccine to all children and that's to protect against uh, measles. And they offered as part of the childhood immunisation schedule. There's also a catch-up MMR option at the moment. This is for children aged up to 10 and under who may have missed out on vaccinations because of, certainly because of the pandemic, there was probably a number of children who were due to get MMR who didn't get MMR and then it could be just one of those things that parents have forgotten to get the MMR. You know, you really do need to check in with your GP to see has your child had the vaccine and is your child protected? The health officials will keep the public informed of further measures but in the meantime they're saying anyone that's got any concerns, you know, if they're starting to feel unwell and think it could be measles are if you think your your child hasn't had the MMR, to please contact your uh, GP. Now, there was four measles cases reported last year. There was two in 2022. There was none in 2021. And that was a lot to do with the pandemic and people weren't travelling. And there was five in uh, 2020. But in any of those years, nobody died from measles. So that's what's making this year different in that our first confirmed case of measles has led to the death of this man. The HSE statement outlined that measles is highly contagious disease and it can cause serious complications. Now, it is in particular can affect babies, children under the age of one. They can get serious complications. It's also really, really dangerous for pregnant women and anyone who is uh, immune compromised. Uh, Signs of measles. Now, everybody thinks, oh, well, measles, you're going to get the rash. Isn't isn't that what it is? But there's a number of other signs. It includes things like cold-like symptoms, having aches and pains, a runny nose, sneezing, a cough, sore red eyes that can be sensitive to light is also a symptom. And obviously a, a temperature over 35, over 38 degrees with any of those symptoms and then obviously any kind of a rash. They can also be small greyish white spots that can form in the mouth. They're all linked to measles along with the loss of appetite, general feeling of fatigue and then the rash, when the rash does come it usually appears on the head and the neck first and then obviously was spread to the rest of the body. And parents are encouraged to check all of their children's vaccinations and make sure they are up to uh, date. But there we have our first case and unfortunately our first case of measles for 2024 has led to a death, the poor man. Uh, when are we going to see an end to these arson uh, attacks? Scarthy are now investigating another arson attack uh, on a building that once again was falsely rumoured to be earmarked for how housing immigrants. The latest is an attack on a property in Leakslip in County Kildare. It was the early hours of yesterday morning and of course that followed a separate attack in Dublin last weekend. That was at the former nursing home that was being considered. It hadn't been passed but it was being considered for refugee uh, accommodation. But this particular house that was burnt out last night. See, the protests had already been staged outside the Leakeslip property in recent weeks because rumours started to spread that refugees were to be housed on the site. This house had been recently sold. Now, I saw the pictures that are making all of the papers today are the burnt out building but I saw photographs of those beautiful seven bedroomed dormer bungalow absolutely beautiful uh, house and rumours went around as soon as it was sold oh that's going to be housing uh, refugees but a spokesperson for the Department of Children 
uh, equality and disability integration in youth and they are the ones that select houses and properties around the country that can be used for housing asylum seekers or refugees. They confirmed uh, the property wasn't being considered for refugee accommodation but unfortunately the rumour mill started and misinformation started to spread about the property. Protests began and then lo and behold last night it was burnt out. The department went on to condemn all acts of intimidation and criminality committed by what they say it's a small minority who just want to sow division uh, in the in our society. Guardy were alerted to the fire at about half one yesterday morning and then attended the scene. Fire crews had to be called out and they eventually brought the blaze under control. What a waste of uh, time for our, our firemen and women as well who were called out to put out all of these fires. Now, thankfully, there was no one in the building at the time. We've had more than a dozen arson attacks having carried out across the country, targeting properties that are either earmarked for refugee housing or they're for, for, falsely rumoured to be for that use. The government are continuing to vow to crack down on these arson attacks at these empty properties that may or may not be earmarked for refugees. And the Thornish yesterday, Micheál Martin said he described this as an organised campaign of arson attacks. Uh, the government, he said, will now examine tougher measures to see if greater deterrents are needed. He said full resources will be put into the Garda Síochána to deal with the arson attacks. He also said it's his understanding that the Garda have made some progress in terms of some of the tax uh, and they will painstakingly investigate all all of the situations. He said what is important is that people are brought to account because he said lives can will, can be lost through this criminal and reckless behaviour. He said it's unacceptable. Uh, we haven't had this be- before. And he says clearly it is an organised campaign and it seems to be, this organised campaign seems to be afoot to burn buildings, destroy property with potential impact on human life. And he says we will not tolerate it. And already the Gardaí have come in for for criticism over the lack of prosecutions relating to these arson attacks. But I've just seen on the news wires on a story that's breaking just this morning that actually three people have been arrested. This is in connection with the arson attack. You know, on that former pub in Dublin, this was the arson attack that happened on New Year's Eve. The pub is called the Shipwright Pub and Guest House. It's in Ringsend in Dublin. And it was being renovated, but it was being renovated for emergency accommodation for homeless families in Dublin but word got out that it was going to be used for asylum uh, seekers and there was protests outside it and even though it was, it was confirmed that it was being used for homeless families in Dublin. That didn't stop somebody deciding to burn it down. So Gardaí carried out four searches in Dublin this morning and from that, two men uh, in their 30s and their 50s and we've this, a woman in her 20s. All three were arrested on suspicion of arson for offences under the Criminal Damage uh, Act and they've been detained and can be questioned for up to 24 hours. And that brings actually to 10 the total number of arrests in connection with 18 arson attacks that have happened uh, on properties all over the country since January of last year. So while the Gardaí are facing criticism that because they haven't had any prosecutions, they are making arrests and we know that the wheels of justice in this country move very, very slowly. But how do we stop these arson attacks? And my biggest fear is a building will be set on fire and the people setting it on fire will not realise that there's somebody inside and lives will be lost. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your call. 
calls, text WhatsApp 086 to 103 103. You can email the programme corktoday at c103.ie. As we heard earlier this morning, Gardaí have commenced a murder investigation following the death of 61-year-old Michael Foley at his home in McCroom on Tuesday of this week. Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Independent, uh, joins me. Uh, Good morning to you, Ralph. Can you hear me? I could just can you hear me, Ralph? Hello, Patricia, oh, you're, can you're yes. there, right? Good morning to you. Now, can you start by just reminding us how Michael Foley's death was discovered? Yeah, essentially, what happened was um, concern for Mr. Foley's welfare had mounted um, it at Anvil, just Barrett's place, which is literally just off the main street in McCroom. And a neighbour had gone to the house, uh, Mr. Tim Horgan. He knocked on the door, knocked on the window and there was no answer. As he was walking away he met the care worker who is attached to the facility and he raised his concerns about Mr Foley's welfare. The care worker went to the property uh, she was able to open the front door and she spotted Mr Foley's body lying on the floor inside. Now we understand the body was lying in a pool of blood and immediately the guardie were called. They sealed off the scene and they notified the Office of the State Pathologist. Paramedics and a local doctor attended. And Mr Foley was pronounced dead at the scene and, and it was later clarified that it appeared that he had been dead for some time. A, the Office of the State Pathologist was notified and the Assistant State Pathologist, Dr Margaret Bolster, examined the scene in situ on uh, Tuesday evening. Now, the remains were later transferred to the morgue at uh, Cork University Hospital and a full post-mortem examination was conducted yesterday. Now, B- B- Gardy immediately treated the death as suspicious because there were visible injuries um, to Mr Foley's head. Now, what th- for operational reasons, the Gardy have not commented on the specific findings of the post-mortem examination, but that those findings did prompt Gardy to upgrade their investigation to a full murder inquiry. Now, what we understand is that the, the post-mortem indicated that Mr Foley died from severe blunt trauma injuries to his head, as well as a number of stab wounds to his torso. Um, it's believed that he knew his attackers because there was no sign of forced entry to the windows or the door at the property and Gardy do not believe that the incident was in any way related to a robbery or a burglary. So I think that's very much informing the nature of their investigation. Now, the scene was sealed off. A full technical and forensic examination was conducted. Gardy are also talking to neighbours to determine if anyone had heard or seen anything suspicious. And of course, as happens with all major guard investigations at the moment, all of the CCTV camera footage from both residential properties and commercial premises in the general area is being harvested. That's going to be examined. And the two things that they're going to look to confirm are the last known movements of the deceased and also any movements of individuals towards Mr Foley's property. Yeah, because the fact that you say where uh, Mr Foley lived, it's just off the main street. I'm assuming there will be a lot of CCTV footage around there. Uh, There there should be, Patricia, yes. Certainly in terms of the the movements of of individuals. Now, Gardaí have not said as yet whether they have uh, individuals of specific interest, but we understand that the investigation is progressing very, very well. Um, Gardaí are certainly 
um, they've got a significant amount of information, both from people that they have spoken to, and we understand that the forensic evidence has also been quite helpful. So all the indications are that they believe that this investigation will progress at quite a significant pace. Uh, and obviously, um, Michael Foley's last known sightings are going to be uh, crucial as to find out the timeline of uh, when he was uh, murdered. So I'm assuming the Gardaí are looking to speak with anyone who saw Michael in in the days leading up to last Tuesday. Yes, very much so. An, an incident room has been set up in McCroom Garda Station and McCroom Gardaí have appealed to anyone who may have come across um, Mr Foley in the last week to two weeks to come forward and, you know, to say who, who, where they saw him, was he with anyone. They particularly want to talk to anyone who, say, may have seen Mr Foley involved in any kind of close social interaction with someone, possibly a row or just a dispute or anything like that at all, to come forward and assist Gardy with their inquiries. The crucial thing is really going to be tracing his last known movements. And I think they're very, very keen to determine who he would have been with in, say, the last hours of his life. Yeah, I think what's particularly sad and I suppose frightening about this case is that uh, Michael Foley lived in sheltered accommodation. So a story coming out from sheltered accommodation like this is very unusual. It is, it is. I think Gardy are are quite keen to stress to people that this this doesn't appear to have been a robbery or a burglary. Yeah. So I, I doesn't strike people as a random type of attack. Certainly all the indications from the circumstances in which Mr Foley's body was found would indicate that he probably knew or was familiar with the person or persons who attacked him. So I think that does put a slightly different perspective on it. And, and certainly... They don't want to worry people who might be in sheltered accommodation or housing for the elderly that this, that this was some type of random attack. Um, all the indications are that it wasn't. Yeah. And I saw Michael's uh, two sisters, bless their hearts, uh, speaking on the news last night. And I mean, this is their second brother that they've lost in tragic circumstances. Yeah, it's absolutely horrendous for any family to have to lose someone in such violent circumstances. But it's simply beyond any words of mine um, to describe how any family copes with losing two people in such circumstances. Of course, Michael's younger brother, Timmy, he was 44 years old when he was fatally stabbed in October 2018. Uh, Now, Timmy was stabbed a total of 28 times and his former wife, Rita, was charged with his murder and she was convicted before a central criminal court jury. And in January 2022, she lost her appeal to that murder conviction and she is currently serving a life sentence um, for the fatal stabbing of her former husband. Okay, so Gardy McCroom, if anyone has even the smallest amount of uh, information, uh, 0262-0590, of course, the Gardy Confidential Line, 1-800-666-111. Ralph Regan, thank you for that. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, Richard. Good morning to you, Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent uh, with the Irish uh, Independent. And once again, our, our deepest sympathy to Michael uh, Foley's uh, family. As I say, watching his two sisters on the news last night, just utterly heartbreaking for them. Anyone who lives or commutes through the town of Mallow will know at certain times of the day it can be completely gridlocked with traffic, with the relief road the only answer to the problem. So, to discuss the possibility of the Mallow relief road finally being progressed, I'm joined by Fianna Fáil uh, Dáil Deputy for Cork North Central, Padraig uh, O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, Padraig. 
Morning, Patricia. Now, the relief road had been spoken about for years, let's be honest. And last year, we were told it was dependent on the National Roads Exchequer funding allocation for 2024. When will that be announced? And have you any indication that Mallow will be included in that? Well, as of now, Patricia, we don't have uh, a date for when that envelope of money to TII will be announced. But what we do know is that there's, you know, lists being drawn up and I've been given information to confirm that Mallow will finally be progressing um, and is on that list. And it's uh, it's, so it's just awaiting final confirmation. That's what, yeah, that's what we're being told. Um, As I said, there's a number of projects like you've got TDs all across the country, um, you know, vying with different projects. And I suppose not just that, um, realistically, TII National roads need to design, decide what the priorities for them are, and that's the information that I have. That Mallow, I suppose, it was disappointed last year that the project, albeit it got a hundred thousand euro, but it, it more or less, you know, delayed it for a year. Um, but now I'm of the understanding that that money that was due last year will be made available now in the coming weeks. Is that the one point two million that got pulled last uh, February? That was to bring the project to planning, and then it got pulled in February, which was hugely dis- disappointing. I- is that what you're expecting will be announced? Yeah, that's what I'm being told. Um, that that allowed the project go forward for a detailed design and an environmental evaluation, and um, so that's literally preparing it for a planning application process. So. Look, it's, it's very good news in a way, obvious, you know, we would like to have this news last year. Um, it's welcome that it will be coming, in, as I said, in the coming weeks. Um, you, you rightly said, look, in your opening part that, you know, you're waiting years and years for this. But, you know, a lot of these national roads projects in particular, unfortunately, you know, that is the process that's there. There's an awful lot of hoops to jump through, an awful lot of planning environmental legislation to deal with. I suppose then you have the political reality of, of things which we're discussing now, which is the allocation of funding to support it, and that finally has been made available to Mallow. Now, the 100,000 that you mentioned that were, that was allocated, when the 1.2 million was pulled, the 100,000 was allocated, and that was to advance works on the road. Um, do you know what is the current status of the project? Yeah, no, the 100,000 last year was basically to meet existing commitments, as TII said, um, so that would have been, you know, probably paying a few engineers or consultant or whatever was going on, I suppose, on the ground. But as, as, I, as, I, said, as I said there earlier, the 1.2 million that was sought last year, um, the money is now being provided to bring it forward for detailed design. So that's the stage that we're at. So once that allocation is made, um, a consultant team will probably be appointed and they'll, I suppose, get the project ready, go through all that planning and design stage and... As I said, there's a raft of environmental legislation that needs to be dealt with as well, as well, you know, on habitats directives and so on. And the laws to be prepared to meet the challenges that it will face in the planning process. And then any sort of a timeline on when that relief road will be completed, Patrick? I, I don't. And I suppose it will be subject to further funding, Patricia, if I'm being brutally honest with you. Um, and between now and then, like if, if this planning and design stage takes, it could take 12 months, if 18, not 18 months. or You know, that's my guess. Nobody else's. But if you're talking about that kind of timeline, you're talking about the next government at that stage. Um, and there could be a whole host of different priorities there. I, I couldn't speculate, to be honest. All right, but but the, the good news is that the 1.2 million uh, will, is definitely coming. Uh, when do you expect the Exchequer funding allocations to be formally announced? We don't have a timeline, but I, I know that it's quite close. We're talking maybe a couple of weeks. Um, the only thing, I, the only other thing I'd say is, I suppose, look, we do have an anticipated date, start date for the Cork Limerick Road, somewhere around the end of 2027. They're speculating, 
So I would imagine any work that's been done in Mallow would, would ideally tie in with that. Um, that would make sense. Um, so I would expect it to maybe follow a similar timeline to the Cork Limerick Road, all going well. So you're saying a start time of 2027? Well, I, I can't say that because I'm know, not an engineer and I'm not a planner and not a consultant, but I suppose it would make sense to me. But lots of things make sense to me as well, Patricia, okay. and then they don't happen. So, um, But the, the, the delays with this uh, relief uh, road, uh, I mean, do you believe that it has and is hampering development of the town of Mallow? I believe that major infrastructure like this, be it Mallow, be it the North Ring Road in Cork City, like there's a stretch of the carry tool, uh, Middleton Road heading east. All that development, if it can be brought forward as quickly as possible, is good for, for development and good for business. Like East Cork is exploding in terms of the number of jobs being created by big multinationals and farmers in particular. Um, and infrastructure like that is one of the key ways that businesses identify to settle in an area. And I spent um, a few days above in Mallow before Christmas meeting businesses in, in the IDA park uh, and in, in the other older industrial park. And I suppose there's a distinct um, difference in the infrastructure in the IDA site and the older industrial site. And that's something as well that I'm working on Cork County Council with. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, we can prioritise funding for not just Mallow, but for the wider Cork North Centre and Cork East area, because we have a proven track record. Businesses want to come here, so we need to make it, I suppose, as enticing as we can for them to settle in in the different towns. And I suppose, you know, in the TII's defence, they have an allocation of money and they're trying to decide where best to spend it. Yeah, like, they would have limited budgets, and I suppose, like, we have given them a a massive National Development Plan budget takes right up to 2030. Um, it's unprecedented the amount of money that's there, but I suppose you can also throw money at stuff and, and not get value for money. So I suppose they prioritise the projects out of the envelope that they're given. Um, but I suppose the encouraging thing for Mallow was, you know, there was a document published last year by the TII um, and the NTA. It was called Prospects for 2023-2024 Report. And Mallow was listed as, I suppose, appearing in the top 50 projects in the country. So I suppose from that, publication that report that was initially a positive sign that that this money was going to finally be being be, be awarded to the town and um, allow progress on the design. And and you don't have any concerns that like what happened last year where the money was allocated and then for whatever reason it was pulled you don't have any concerns that once it gets, once it gets announced uh, hopefully in the coming weeks that there is a danger it could be pulled because another project the TII might deem to be more important. Well, I suppose, like anything, a politician doesn't like, I suppose, announce, making announcements or promises and that, that they can't keep. But as I said, I'm giving information that I have and the information I have is that Mallow is currently on the list for approval. Um, anything that happens between now and then that would make that different, I suppose, would be a political decision at this stage because it is on the list of approved projects, as I understand it. So, as I said, anything else would be a political decision at this point and... Look, the town itself is crying out for this. Um, I know I'm relatively new to the town, you know, with, with Mallow coming into Cork North Centre in the future. But when I am up there, when I'm talking to people, members of my own party and, and local businesses and so on, local the wider community, you know, it's crying out for this type of investment and this development. And um, look, I, I'm sure that it's, it's going to come. Um, but I suppose just to, to reiterate to people, this is the next stage and this is the next phase. This is to bring it through design. 
um, work on the ground, you know, it will be a considerable number of years ahead before we actually see commitment. Yeah, well, you know, you look at an, an area we've spoken a lot about on this programme over the years would be McCroom and their bypass and how long they waited for for the bypass. Now it has finally come to fruition, but it's made it makes a huge difference to people living and working and just passing through the area when you have relief roads like this. Yeah, I'm well, with my own wife's family are from the McCroom area and it's made a massive difference to people's lives up there. But like you said, and like I said earlier, like I'm living in a part of the city where the North Ring Road as well has been talked about for 20 odd years. And I, th- I think the more you talk about some of these projects and the more they don't progress or don't happen, then I suppose the public, you know, become more disillusioned or I suppose reluctant to believe when announcements like this are made um, or when, you know, False promises are made, I suppose they lose a bit of faith in it, but as I said, and just to reiterate, the money to bring it to the next stage um, is there and it is on the list to progress. And look, it's, it's, it's very welcome news because we were all disappointed last year when it didn't make it through, through to the planning stage. OK, so we just we wait on, on TII for the official announcement, but uh, certainly uh, good news uh, for sure. OK, listen, uh, Patrick, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And uh, thank you uh, for joining us. That is Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Padraig uh, O'Sullivan uh, with um, We Just Wait on Transport Infrastructure Ireland to allocate for the official allocation of that money, but he says the money to progress the Mallow Relief Road. And I'm assuming the figure will be 1.2 million, maybe it'll, even be, maybe it'll even need to be higher this year to bring the project to planning. That was the money that was pulled last year, but he says it is going to be contained uh, in this, in the next round of national funds, National Roads Exchequer funding allocation. Timothy in Blackpool was on listening to my chat with Deputy Patrick O'Sullivan talking about the possibility that money will finally be forthcoming for the Mallow Relief Road, well just to progress it to the next stage, get it past the planning uh, stage and uh, Timothy in in Blackpool listened with interest and said very welcomed news obviously for the good people of Mallow but he said what about the influx of traffic that comes from the Mallow direction and lands into Blackpool with nowhere to go? That's completely gridlocked. Are there any plans for a new road network from Mallow to Cork City or will that also have to wait until the new uh, motorway and that's from uh, Timothy in uh, Blackpool and there's no park and ride from that side of the city uh, either which I always scratch my head about and can never uh, quite understand I'm going to just stay on kind of traffic related issues and go back to yesterday for a moment because yesterday we were talking about the possibility of anyone driving an SUV could they expect in the future that they'd be paying higher parking charges. The idea is to try to limit the amount of people who buy large SUVs and to try to encourage them to go into smaller cars and anyone who does have an SUV you could expect to be penalised and if you tried to park in any of the major urban areas or cities in particular you could pay up to three times the amount and this suggestion of course has come because it's what's been introduced in Paris. So we put up an Insta poll on our C103 Insta page asking people should parking charges for SUVs uh, should they be higher and the result came out at 23% said yes but 77% said no. Now while I was on air yesterday and, and I'm assuming that Instapol uh, took off last night because when we were on air yesterday the results were kind of the other way. A lot of people were in favour of it and thought it was a great idea and thought we had way too many SUVs on the road and I was surprised when I was looking back at the amount of cars bought. Two out of three cars bought in 2022 with the last figures I could find were SUVs so there's a lot of big vehicles out on the roads and we had a lot of people yesterday saying 
way too many big vehicles uh, on the road and were in favour of increasing their parking charges but it's certainly flipped the other way and I'm assuming that 77% that a lot of them drive uh, SUVs and of course a suggestion like that would be something that would be very much welcomed by the likes of the Green Party and in, in particular the leader of the Green Party, uh, Eamon Ryan, who is of course our current Minister for Transport and is also Minister for the Environment. And today he's making headlines because he has a plan to remove cars from Dublin City Centre and as Minister for Transport he says it will be in place by August of this year. Eamon Ryan yesterday said it is ridiculous that the plan to remove cars and commercial vehicles from the centre of our capital has taken so long to introduce, highlighting that it happens in other cities around the world and why have we been so slow to introduce it into our capital city here. The Green Party leader has said he would not rule out introducing the extra charges on the SUVs to park in cities and obviously he was asked about what Parisians have voted by tripling uh, parking charges for the larger vehicles. He said, I think people are going to see a transfer formation this August in Dublin City when we take the through traffic out of the city centre. He says it's going to make a huge change to our capital. Now as part of the reforms, motorists will not be allowed to access parts of the north and the south keys in the city centre and that includes College Green which is going to turn into a complete pedestrianised plaza. He said it's ridiculous it has taken so long stuck in planning the way it has. He said, look at what has happened in comparative cities around the world. Look at what they've done in Paris. Look what they've done in one of our nearest neighbours in London. He says, we need to do the same thing and we're going to start by pedestrianising College Green. Eamon Ryan said, cities that do not want to be a part of the upcoming transformation will be left behind in gridlock. So he's suggesting by that that other cities will be asked uh, to do the same thing and to ban traffic through the city centre. Also proposals in the strategy are expected to include removing parking spaces from civil servants. That's going to go down like a lead balloon with the civil servants in Dublin. Eamon Ryan was also asked about the potential of a congestion charge in Dublin City. Uh, That gets uh, spoken about every now and again. But I I was interested. I thought he would be all in favour for it. But he says if you did put a congestion charge in place, which is what obviously they've done in London, and it works very successfully in London, it certainly reduced the amount of cars in London. But he reckons it won't deliver on reducing traffic. Now, he said that it would not be possible to rule out introducing a congestion charge, but he said it might be in 10 or 15 years' time. But he said the current government, they have no plans. It isn't on the table. They're not discussing congestion charges. And he said, Lord knows what a future government would do. But he said with this government, it's about relocating spaces. He said it's about making it safer because that can be done quicker. That can be more effective. And he said it's desperately needed. And he doesn't think a congestion charge would deliver the kind of plans he wants, which is to remove all cars and commercial vehicles from the centre of Dublin. And he says plans are afoot that are will be introduced in August but I I just thought his point when he said that if other cities uh, if they don't want to be part of what he's coming uh, what he's calling a transformation of the city that they'll be left behind in a gridlock so if it works successfully in Dublin will we see it coming to Cork is it something we would like to see coming to Cork would you like to see a city centre that would be free of uh, traffic your thoughts welcomed on that 0818 103 103 you can text 
text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Tria Oil, they are looking for a truck driver. Now it's for multi-drop deliveries to domestic and commercial sites in Clonakilty Bandon area. You can email careers at tria.ie or phone Owen 087-7717035. Medical administrator slash receptionist is required for a busy GP practice in Newmarket. Previous experience in medical admin would be an advantage, although it's not essential. CVs, please, to Elaine at um, at ATH at trasnamc.com. Teleporter driver is wanted for a construction project. Now, it's in the Bishopstown Waterfall area, 087-165-0527. And Clonakilty Community Sports Association, they've got a part-time position available. It's for an administrator slash general operative. It's to deal with queries and bookings, etc. CVs, please, to info at clonakiltysports.com and please mark it for the attention of the manager. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Currently in Ireland, there are over 40,000 adults attending literacy courses nationwide and the service is provided by the Education Training Board's Adult Literacy Service. It's never easy for someone to admit that they're having problems with reading and writing and yet no one should be excluded or feel isolated because of unmet literacy needs. So to share his story of the road to literacy, I'm joined by uh, Tony uh, Maloney. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning to you, Patricia. And thank you so much uh, for sharing your story uh, with us. So I suppose, did you struggle with reading and writing while you were in school? I did. Um, No, I I have to say I left school in 73, but there was 57 in my class. 57? Yes. So (laughs) uh, with the problems that I later discovered that I have uh, with literacy. I mean, I was never going to be any good when I was younger. And, and what age were you when you left school? I, I was 16. I went to, okay. I went to the juniors or the, the intercert as I was. At the yeah. Time. But um, I, see, I was a fantastic maths person. Yeah. Right? So. Uh, I was a student in maths but couldn't read or write. I'm very, very interested in history and very interested in geography and and I, I did all those exams and I passed all them. I don't know how I did it, but I couldn't read or write. Goodness me. And did anyone in the school talk to you about it, notice it, identify they it? Did. They, they did. did. They did. They did really, you know, in the sense of I heard two teachers talking one day. They thought they were talking about two different people. One was my maths teacher and the other one was my English teacher. So not so numbers, yeah, numbers. Because because numeracy can be a problem for other yeah. people, but numbers Correct. numbers weren't an issue for you. No. It was the actual words on a page. Correct. Correct. And it turns tar- it turns out you're dyslexic. I'm dyslexic. I found that out at fifty fifty six years of age. I found that out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And of course, back in the sixties and the early seventies, when you were in school. 
I, I don't even think dyslexia had been identified no. or if it was identified, it certainly wasn't spoken about in schools. It was the 80s before dyslexic was. Was it? Of, was yeah, it? Yeah. Was. Yeah. So, so you left school um, and, and you obviously knew you had this issue with, with reading and, and writing. Where, what did you do for work and, and how did that all work out for you? Well, I, I was working in a bakery at the time, starting at four o'clock in the morning, slicing bread and all the rest of it. But um, my mother was a great, a great woman. She had multiple cirrhosis. She knew a few people around the place and she got me into a trade, painting and decorating. And I never looked back really from that. When I came out of my time in the painting and decorating, I worked for myself because I found it very hard to get a job anywhere. Because you couldn't fill in an application form, Correct. I take it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these tests that they do uh, before your interview and all the rest of it, yeah. uh, I could never do any of them, you know. So you, rather than, you just avoid it. I avoided it. I just, I, I went and worked for myself, got a couple of customers and, and went working for myself and never looked back, really. And I, I had a taxi on the go at the same time. So that when I didn't have painting, I could go to taxi. And you didn't need reading or writing skills for Correct. for either of those yeah. uh, positions. It was all verbal, really, you know. But 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 it must have been still affecting your life. Oh, absolutely! I mean, every morning that you got up, you would not your stomach. Who am I going to meet today? Engineers, um, you know, if if you're if you're pricing work, you know, they might throw some document here to read. And the great favourite was like, I don't have my glasses with me now. Ah, bless. I know. Do you know? I know. Um, and then when I had to wear glasses permanently, I don't have my reading glasses with me. Oh, <laughs> God. And then, so, so what was the turning point for you? Well, well, the turning point is, I, I remember the slump came, uh, it was at 07, 08. Yeah, yeah, 07, 08, yeah. Yeah, and I, I saw this doc, this um pamphlet came in the door to me in Yall from Yall uh, uh, FES uh, Educational Training uh, Board and they saw a, a picture of computer course on there. So I applied for the computer course and of course the first night of the computer course they spotted my my problem because I was asking everybody how do you spell this and how do you spell that. So um from there on, they, they, they took me aside. They, they waited until the class was over and they asked me, would I like to do something about it? So I thought I was the only one in the world with the problem at the time because I kept it a secret from everybody. So that's that's how it turned for me. And I must stress, like I went in on my own terms. Everything was my own decision. If you went in, you got a one-to-one. And when you went right, ready to put, move on to a classroom situation, they asked you, are you ready? Do you know, there was no such thing. It was your pace. Yes, it was yeah. my pace. And, and that, that was and very is, important. Yeah, well, yeah uh, 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 and absolutely, because you want to make sure you're ready for the next stage. Correct. And only Correct. you're going to know that. Yes, exactly. Do you know? And when, no. when, when you say you hadn't told anyone, did your family know? I, I, I never openly discussed it with anybody. Never. Never. No, they probably guessed because every time my kids came to me, I'd say, look what your mother for the spellings. You know, they could have guessed, but it was never openly discussed in my family until 
I went back to education. Did you in, in some way feel ashamed? Not that it, it was... Yeah. I was I was ashamed of my life because as, th- as I said well ago, I thought I was the only one in the world like this. You know, I thought I was stupid, really. Yeah, and no. it's and 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 the farthest thing, and particularly when 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 it's a, di- a dyslexic, a diagnosis, diagnosis, it's it's the farthest thing. You're any you're anything but stupid. And I think if any if anything, people who manage to hide their literacy problems, I think the level of intelligence that takes, I think, is phenomenal. That you, yeah, you, you have go, to think. You have to think outside the box. Constantly, yeah, yeah, constantly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah. yeah, so, so, in many ways, well done for hiding it, but in other ways, you shouldn't have hid it because you could have, got, you could have got help, help earlier. So, you went into these one-on-one lessons. Correct. Yeah, I did that for six months. Okay. And uh, then the, the the tutor at the time said to me, "Look, you're well able for a um, classroom setting. Now there was only eight in the class, so." <laughs> But what what I kind of they, they were all at different levels of I suppose reading and writing. Some of them had no problem with the reading and writing, but some of them had math problems. Some had a computer problems. Do you know? Yeah. So and we were all you kind of helped each other? You know? Were you were you there. nervous about going very, into? Very, very nervous at the, at the start. But do you know it's something that was the hardest part of the whole thing, taking the first step. Hmm. I, I know people since I, I, I'm, I'm involved with Nala also and the Corky TV and the Learner's Voice within the Corky TV. And um, you hear from people, it took them four years to step in the door. That is the biggest step that you'll ever take in your life, but it'll be the most important. Yeah, you see, and, and I think as well, going back into that classroom uh, settings for, for many people, and for a lot of us, we all have reminders of not so great school days. Correct. And the, uh, and the classroom thing, you're thinking, oh, it's just going to be like, I'm going to feel like I felt when I was in school. And, it, and it, it's, the, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? It is. It is actually the opposite. It, it's like it, you're, you're, allowed, you're an adult. You're allowed to get up and go around the place if you feel, you know, restricted or... If you wanted to go to the loo, you don't have to ask. You don't have to put your you hand know? up. You, you don't have to put your <laughs> hand up. And, you know, if you get something wrong, you're not going to get a slap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, they're only there to help you. The, 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 the kindness. That's what I said. Whoever they get these people and in their interviews, and it's in every centre, in the 46 centres that are in Cork City, I don't know where they find the tutors. They're absolutely beautiful people. And what level did you take the the, the classroom? Did, did you do exams or did you just go on? No, and, no, it's all assessment. Okay, it's an assessment, and it's I started at level one and up to level three, which would be the equivalent of the junior cert. No, and did you get as far? Did you do that? I did. I well did done. the level subjects in that. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. And have you have you? embraced the whole world of technology, seeing as it was a computer that attracted you in the door day one. Have you embraced that world of technology and is that helping you? Big time, big time. I mean, I can send emails, I can do my taxes online, I can do... I can really... I I mean, only last night my wife came to me and said to me, how do you send that email there with attachments on it? And I showed her what to do. You know? So, like, it's, it's changed my whole life. Do you know what I mean? And it really has. Have you have you discussed with your family why you didn't open up and tell them? No, 
I, I, I didn't have to, you know, the acceptance of what I did, I suppose, was enough. They, they, they knew I was struggling. They knew the problems I had. We, we discussed it afterwards, I suppose, uh, not in a, a direct way, but in a roundabout way, you know what I mean? They must be very uh, proud of you now, though. Yeah, I, I think so, you know. I yeah. Mean, you know, they don't tell me every day of the week. But <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. I'm, I'm sure they are. And has it made, Tony, a huge difference to your life? Oh, oh it just opened up a whole new world, you know. And and there was a light bulb mo- moment in the middle of all the lessons. Uh, one, the, one of the tutors asked us if we went into a bank and we got a form. We went to open an account and she handed your form to fill in. You had three different things that you could do with the form. You could take it home, you could ask for help, or you could try and fill it in. What would you do? And and I struggled with that for a week. I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. But because I thought about it so much, you know, it flipped my thinking. Why should I be ashamed of what I am and who I am? This is not my fault, you know? Yeah. yeah. And And from that day on, I was never ashamed of telling anybody that I, I had problems with reading and writing. Well done, well done. And, it, and even to even to go into a place now and they say, look, you'll have to fill in that one. Look, I'm dyslexic. Can you get, help me with that? Nothing and wrong with saying that. Nothing, not a bother. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's, it's the confidence that it has given me. That's the biggest change in my life. I'm still dyslexic. I still have problems with reading and writing, but I know how to get about them now with technology on my phone and on my laptop. Yeah, and thankfully today's, you know, children, when they go to school, Tony, there's so much now known about dyslexia. It gets picked up so that nobody, thankfully today, will have to go through the school system the way you did and come out the other end with literacy difficulties because there's so much help available now for dyslexia. Yes, and and, and the government now are doing a 10-year plan um, after forming a new uh, agency, if you like, to combat literacy in Ireland. And it's all the ETVs, there's 16 ETVs in Ireland. And in Cork now there's one, and it's, it's, it's a coalition of all different, like the library, social welfare, you know, anybody that's interested in any aspect of literacy or that can touch people's lives, it's like a one-stop shop. And there's a new 10-year plan now to uh, combat um, uh, literacy in Ireland. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, and I- it's gone down from 1.6 to one oh five. What's one explain that to me, Scandal? The, the, the one the one is six. It was Oh one yeah, six one and six had people yeah. had had yeah. a problem. Yeah. And one and four on max. Yeah. But uh, it's gone down to one and five. Yeah, zone, because when, like that figure, when, when I did my introduction piece before you came on, um, I was doing some research yesterday in advance of you joining me. And when I, I saw that figure of over 40,000 adults attending literacy courses, I, I yeah. looked at it and said, oh, that must be 4,000. And I had to no. double check 40,000 uh, people. And I thought, you know, if I could pat every one of them on the back and say, well done for going forward to get the help. But it's, it's such a huge figure. And there is a brilliant web Website. It's um, the this is the adult literacy for life, which is bringing everybody uh, together. And I'd point to anyone in the direction of it if you can offer help to anybody with literacy. And I suppose the one big thing, Tony, about you joining us today is to try to get the message out. I, I know there will be people listening to this programme who will be either able to identify exactly with your story, people who would have come through the school system, maybe similar age to you, uh, and feeling that I'm stupid, I'm thick, I'm unintelligent, or I can't read or write. What, what do you say to that cohort of people? Through no fault of their own, they've ended up with literacy problems. What do you say to them in order to reach out? Well, I, I, I would say, look, it, it, it's it's like anything else. You have to be ready to do it yourself. Uh, it's no good anybody kind of coaxing you or, or saying, look, you have to do this or you have to do that. You you really have to be ready yourself. But I, what I would say to you is try it. Because the biggest step I found out that is going in the door. That's the biggest step. So after that, it's all downhill. It's absolutely fantastic what what they can do for you nowadays. Do you know what I mean? And and like I'm dyslexic, but dyslexic means like it's like your fingerprints. No two people are the same. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So we all have a different form of it, right? I met I met a, a CEO of a big company. I won't mention the company or his name, but he he was well able to read or write, but he couldn't count the change in his pocket. <sighs> Yeah, because you can have a numerical form of dyslexia where you're dyslexic with numbers. Yeah, goodness yeah. me. So, like, I mean, there's so much can be done for you now. And, and really, like, the technology is getting better and better every day of the week. I have a, I have a reading pen when I'm stuck, when I'm reading. And I, I can read most words, but if I lose one word in a sentence, it won't make sense to me. But I get out my reading pen and I put it across that word. And it'll call the world out to me. Oh, is season technology amazing? Yeah, it's fantastic what they can do nowadays, you know? Yeah. And I don't have to ask anybody else to read a letter for me anymore. You, you, know? so, you sound to me like your only regret was that you didn't reach out earlier. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. If I knew 
No, what I mean, you know, back then, the world would have been my oyster, you know. Okay, I can see so many people uh, saying well done to Tony for sharing his story. Uh, he really will help uh, people. Uh, well done to him. And Bill, who's listening to us in Fort Lauderdale in the States, wants to point out uh, a very famous dyslexic, sure, the singer. There's, Correct. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. A, and there's yeah. lots of famous there's dyslexics. There's a lot of famous yeah. people. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And here's another famous one, our own Tony Maloney. Listen, yes, thank you. Listen, you, 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 you're, you're a credit to the Adult Literacy for Life for sharing your story because I really do genuinely believe that uh, you will help people and if anybody wants to reach out there's a number you can call 1-800-2020-65 1-800-2020-65 that's Adder Literacy for Life and it's also important uh, to point out Tony that all of those literacy courses they're all free aren't they? you, yeah. you, you weren't yeah. charged for any of them over 23 yeah. they're over 23 yeah they're Absolutely. all free. Yeah. Okay, listen, we wish you continued good luck on your, your journey of uh, literacy because you sound like a man who's going to spend the rest of his life learning, uh, which yes. is brilliant, which is brilliant. And listen, thank you. I really appreciate you taking uh, time out to talk to us today. You're welcome. Thank good you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Good what a morning. lovely man. That is uh, Tony Maloney. And when I was talking about children uh, today and there's so much more known about dyslexia than would have been when poor old Tony was going to school, somebody said uh, dyslexia and dyscalculia are not being picked up early in all schools nowadays. My grandchild was diagnosed with both and only for the parents going for private assessment last May nothing would have been done says uh, Catherine. Uh, yeah and that could be just to do with the school that your grandchild uh, is uh, attending and because I've heard of others and schools have been fantastic but I know schools can be curtailed as well in trying to get the assessments done. There, There is, I know there is a kind of a bottleneck where schools will identify a child that needs to be assessed and then they've got to go on some kind of a waiting list. And I've heard of so many other parents doing that, going down the private assessment route because the earlier you can identify something like that, certainly the better it is for the child. 0818 103 103. Uh, Finbar says, Patricia, listening to Tony, it reminds Reminds me of the saying, a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And that's from Finbar in uh, Bantry and how true. And I think Tony would absolutely agree with that because, as he said, the toughest one is is either picking up the phone and making the call or making that step uh, going in somewhere to saying, I need help. And don't forget, we've got the wonderful NALA, the National Adult Literacy Groups. They're dotted all over the country. And the tutors that are in, the, and the majority of them volunteers, they are just the most incredible uh, people. 0818 I'm going to give... Thank Thank you to Tony and Rath Gormack uh, for this. He said, just to let people know, for fear anyone was planning on travelling to the races in Thurless, they have been abandoned. The meeting has been called off due to the bad weather. So no, uh, no racing at Thurless today. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. by WhatsApp says, well done to uh, Tony uh, for sharing his wonderful story. Um, onwards and upwards, Tony should visit schools to help other children. Well, he, he deals primarily with adults.
adults because it's an adult literacy issue and I know he's with he's working with the Adult Literacy for Life and I think by sharing his story he certainly will have helped people uh, today. Thank you for your WhatsApp uh, Therese. Now Hurdle Dirkling. Hurdle Dirkle it's the latest lifestyle craze on TikTok. The Scottish term means to lie in bed or lounge about when one should be up and about. So what is it? Should we all be doing it? Isolt White is a psychotherapist and she's an author and she joins us with more on this. Good morning to you, Isolt. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, I have to say with that wet morning, I had a fine herkle-durkle this morning <laughs> for myself. <laughs> now, I, I'm not a daily TikTok user, so I have to say this is a new trend on me. So I suppose just tell us exactly what's, what it is and what's going on on TikTok and why has it become a trend? Well, basically, a, an actress did a TikTok that got something like four million views saying <laughs> about Herkle Durkling. Well, I don't really quite know how you verb Herkle Durkle, yeah. but that staying in bed, lounging in bed in the morning is good for the soul. And then there have been quite a few newspaper articles questioning whether this is true or not. So I suppose. And, and, what, and, and as a, a psychotherapist, what is your view on a good old Herkle Durkle? Is, is it good for us? I think an occasional Herkle Durkle is good for all of us. And I suppose in some of the articles, some of the psychotherapists were saying, well, you know, they were kind of making it competitive, you know, like make sure you light a candle and put a boundary around it and set a limit and play music. And to me, a Herkle Durkle should be like what I did this morning, which was turn the electric blanket back on when I saw the rain and curled up in bed and listened to the radio and scrolled to my social media. Um, and to do that occasionally is 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 good we should take rests like that and take respite but I suppose that the serious side of it is if you were using it as a way of avoiding life or if you were having negative thoughts if you weren't able to get up and and you were excusing it as a Herkle Durkle then I suppose that's a problematic. Yeah because I, you know I know I will see parents nodding at the radio saying well God I've got teenagers in the house they're particularly good at this uh, but there is that theory that teenagers need more sleep or they lead you to believe they need more sleep. Well, they need more sleep, really, for their for their brain is going through massive shifts and changes. And also the other part of, with teenagers is their body clock is on a different cycle than adults' body, body clock. So um, they, they they should be given a little bit of space for, for staying in bed. To herkle, dir- to herkle, herkle. <laughs> but you see, my problem with this when I was looking into it yesterday, I'm I'm an early riser on what what I call the school days, on the work days. So I'm, I'm up at, at five at 5.30. So then when the weekends come, my body clock, I always wake up around at the same time. Now, I don't get up at 5.30 on Saturday or Sunday, but I do find that on some mornings I'm lying in bed thinking of all of the chores and the things I could be doing around the house. So should I try and do more her- herkle dirkling? Yeah, because thinking about the chores is definitely not in the spirit of Herkle Durkling. Um, so I would try, you know, try and relax. But look, not everybody likes to do these kind of things. So nobody should feel they should do it, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's about if getting up and having a cup of tea and putting on the radio is what suits you. That's your relaxation in the morning. I think it's, you know, whenever we're trying to make <laughs> one size fits all, we always run into trouble, don't we? And it is, I, I said in the introduction, it is a Scottish term. Do, do you know, has, it been around, has the term been around for a long time? Yes, it's an, sort of an old Scottish term and 
uh, I think in one of those word of the day tweets, uh, it got picked up from that. And it's a lovely, it's a lovely I phrase. Think... Now, I hadn't heard it myself either, but it's just a lovely phrase, isn't it? Well, it's 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 such a, a quirky way of rather than saying, God, I had a really good lie in this morning, which we, we'll often say, I got out a good old Herkle Durkle this morning. I think I'm going to start, <laughs> I think I'm going to start using it. But just on the whole issue of sleep, Sleep is important for, you know, for our mental health, for our physical health, but it's getting that right amount of help. We, you know, and some of us need help with that. Sleep is really important. And and one of the things that we know is that when people sleep less, they're much more prone to depression. Um, as a phys- it's a physiological response. And for people who have difficulty sleeping, then going to bed at the same time and rising at the same time are very important. And then I suppose the other thing I would say is that in the winter time, people who are a little bit more susceptible to light and maybe to seasonal affective disorder, they should be careful because actually getting up in the morning and getting outdoors and getting that daylight early in the morning is just really good for regulating your sleep sleep cycle. So if you have a poor sleep cycle or difficulty sleeping, I would not advise regular Herkel Dirkling as much as you might like to do it. Yeah, because that's that whole thing when they talk about sleep hygiene. I mean, it's going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time. It is. And, you know, in the sleep hygiene, you're not supposed to stay in the bed when you're not asleep to keep your body and your mind just associating the bed with sleep. Um, so I think I think for those reasons, you know, I mean, it, it is fun and but there's always the side where it's not going to work for some people. Yeah. So have a have a good old Herkel Durkle this weekend, uh, if you can. OK, but you're out of the You're out of the bed talking to us now. You are. You didn't. I'm out of the bed and I have an excuse for my Herkel Durkle this morning because I'm working till 8 p.m. So. Oh, are you? OK, OK. <laughs> and is the weather, yeah, what part of the country are you in Dublin or where are I'm you? I'm in Dublin and it's a misery and I took the dogs out for a walk and one of them rolled in nonsense and I had to wash him when I got home so my oh, Herkel Durkle didn't pay off. Good God. <laughs> so you have a problem with dog fouling. We're, we're, it's, it's a constant problem here in Cork that we're always we're always talking about. Oh, it's desperate, isn't it? And you with your dog, I, dogs are obviously very responsible and picking up after them. Of course, of <laughs> course. But my little white poodle loves to roll and stuff. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, enjoy the rest of your day. And, uh, you too. And if you get a Herkel Durkle at the weekend, enjoy that too. Isil, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Uh, good morning to you. That is Isolt White, who is a psychotherapist. So that's so that's what it was. That was the word that we were using uh, earlier. Uh, the Herkle Durkle uh, word uh, is it means just basically to have a, la- a lion or to lounge uh, around. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Actually, when Isolt was talking about how bad the weather was in uh, Dublin. We are, am I going to balance spittle? I'm going to balance spittle. No, we're hearing that there was floods uh, earlier today and balance spittle in particular got an amount of flooding. There was an amount of rain uh, overnight. Uh, Robert Platten is the owner of the Wild Restaurant in balance spittle. Um, good morning to you, Robert. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. How are you doing is the question. You had um, a flood early this morning. Tell us what happened. We did around half a five this morning. I had a knock on the door from the neighbour and there was massive flash flooding coming from across the road. It was flooding in from the back doors of all the residential houses coming out the front doors. Um, so there was kind of the elderly people there, they'd rang the fire brigade and uh, our place then just came up through the drains out the back door and flooded it all from the kitchen all the way out the front door as well. 
the fire brigade were with us then from about half six. They were pumping out all the houses and um, just giving us a hand with the, the electrics and things like that, you know. But fair play to them. They were brilliant. The fire brigade were absolutely on the ball, you know. And we should we should be able to get open this evening, hopefully with a bit more cleaning, you know. Is this, um, I'm reading on the screen, is this your second flood in three months? Second flood in three months, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, oh. it's, it's, it's something that's serious needs to be addressed with this situation. We've got um, Christopher, the TD, coming down there for a chat around four o'clock with us, just some residents, residents and uh, business owners as well, you know, so we're going to try now highlight this and just, uh, it can't really happen again, you know what I mean? This is detrimental to our business, now, but never mind with everything else going on and, and restaurants closing everywhere. We, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. I saw actually Adrian Cummins of the Restaurants Association is out today talking about the amount of restaurants uh, uh, closing and, and I assume you don't have flood insurance. Um, to be honest, it's going to be a problem going forward. If this keeps going, we won't be able to get insurance down here. It's yeah. the issue, you know. That's the big thing that's going to be playing on us next. That's why I don't think, you know, many people are really claiming on insurance because they don't want the end result to be that we can't get insurance. I know, you know I, mean? I know, I know. And did you, how much damage today? I mean, are all your electrics okay? I mean, that's something... Lucky. We're lucky. We, we live next door, so I managed to kill all the power and everything. So Great. We're lucky that way. And last time we lost the fridge and we lost a couple oh of bits. But, 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 you know. So it's just more of a clean up today then. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, is that yeah. all mucky water, is it? Would be, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. God, my heart goes out to you. Okay, yeah. listen, thank you for that, um, uh, Robert. Yeah. And please, God, you, you're, you're hoping you will be open this evening. God, okay. yeah. Wild yeah. restaurant in Ballinspittle, folks, the place to go for food. Listen, thank thanks, you, Robert. Robert. Look yeah. after yourself. That's just really, really shocking. Uh, I wasn't aware that uh, Ballinspittle had uh, flooding. I knew there was a lot of water, some heavy uh, rain uh, overnight, but it's just soul destroying that it's the second time in three months that Ballinspittle has been flooded. The latest listenership figures uh, for radio in Ireland, the JNLR, which is like us having a leaving cert result every three months because they come out every three months with the latest book has just been uh, published and delighted to say that we here on uh, Cork Today we've had one of our highest listenership figures in quite some time so we're thrilled uh, about that so thank you to each and every one of you. We love having you along and if you're some of our newer listeners we particularly welcome you to the programme. Long may you continue to stay with us uh, between 10 and 1 Monday to Friday and of course our email address Cork Today at c103.ie and lovely to see some really nice texts in uh, complimenting Tony on his interview. Tony who joined us earlier talking about the journey of adult literacy and trying to dispel the shame that goes with us and there's nothing for any adult who finds themselves not able to read or write or struggling with maths. It is never ever the person's uh, fault and there's just much wonderful help that is uh, available. Marion Skibbereen says isn't he just a great man? <laughs> and he is and because it isn't easy to come out like that and you know to go on public radio and, and start to talk about it it, it really isn't easy I have a huge huge admiration for anyone that does uh, that and uh, Tony it was a pleasure to interview him today and Margaret says Patricia that was a fantastic interview congratulations to Tony my own son is dyslexic but thank God he got help and has now passed his college exams but it was a very very hard road it's still a problem in society with older people who don't have the courage who don't have the ability to deal with it 
but a great positive story from Tony today and I hope it will help others um, says Margaret yeah you're, you're right because for, for Tony he didn't even realise it was dyslexia was his uh, issue and of course I don't know what the proportion of people who end up with literacy issues into their adulthood is down to dyslexia or dyscocolia but you can be guaranteed there's a high proportion of them who went through the school system where we didn't know about dyslexia and it wasn't identified and people were literally just deemed stupid. I mean, I can still clearly remember, I won't say her name, but I, I, I know her name, a girl who was in my class in a primary school. And 100%, I'd love to track her down and find out, did she ever get checked for dyslexia? She went through all of primary school absolutely struggling with uh, reading and writing and, and it's only now you know we realise and we just it was put down to she was called out by teachers it's just been stupid why don't you get it why can't you understand it and she used to dread if she was ever asked to read I remember sitting beside her on one occasion and trying to whisper the words to her and the teacher calling me out for doing that but but yeah she really really struggled and, and I often wondered was now in hindsight was it dyslexia and I, I think any of us if we think back to our school days we'll all be able to identify someone in the class who really struggled with illiteracy and was it at the time dyslexia that we just didn't know about so yeah well done Tony is a great great man and it was a pleasure to interview him uh, today 0818 103 103 I spoke about the Minister Eamon Ryan and he was speaking yesterday about his plans to remove all cars from Dublin city centre by uh, August. The plan is to remove cars and commercial vehicles from the centre of the city. And actually, he's bemoaning the fact that it's taken so long and he reckons it is going to, to transform Dublin uh, city. Um, some Pat in Limerick says, Patricia, are the business owners in Dublin asleep or what? Can they really accept and agree with no cars going through the centre of Dublin? I think that might mean a lot less footfall and a lot less business. If we lose business, who then is going to pay the rates if those businesses close? This Eamon Ryan, Minister for Transport and Minister for the Environment, I feel, says Pat, he's gone over his limit with all of his carbon taxes and his green agenda. But a bigger issue, says Pat in Limerick, are the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael politicians who are in power with him. Why are they allowing him to carry out what Pat sees as madness and not a word from them? Are they too afraid of losing power and losing their cosy ministerial positions and ultimately their pensions. Why aren't the business people up in arms over this and lobbying their local politicians? Or is it like everything else in this country, ignoring what is going on and not listening to the electorate? That's from Pat in Limerick. Well, Eamon Ryan reckons this is the way uh, forward and he says it was ridiculous the delay in removing cars from the city centre and he points to other comparative cities and the two cities he named yesterday was Paris and London who have done similar things and it's been great according to him for business businesses, I suppose for Dublin, only time will uh, tell. Because someone else is making the point, this is someone else is making a point um, on on that. This is um, oh, tied in with the charging because Eamon Ryan also spoke about the ch- charging extra for uh, SUVs for, for uh, parking. What if people stop buying these cars uh, says uh, Tom, look at all the money that the government will lose out on. Also, comparing us to other countries I think makes no sense at all. Other countries, for example, have cheaper insurance and they have things like good public transport. Why can't they bring us in 
in line with them, Sistan, before they tried to align us to do what other countries are doing. You can't compare uh, like with like. Tim says SUVs cover everything other than your normal saloon cars and hatchbacks. It's just not confined to, say, the large Range Rovers or the Land Rovers. Toyota RAV4, Suzuki Vitara, Hyundai Tuscan, Kia Sportage, Dacia Duster. The list goes on and on. All of them are classed as SUVs. So why penalise people because of the type of car they choose to drive? And Tim says, I'm not an SUV driver, dot, 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 yet, says um, uh, Tim. Well, the argument that's put forward from the green agenda is that they're large vehicles. Uh, We had that statistic yesterday that over the last two decades, uh, cars and vehicles have increased by a centimetre, I think, every year or something. I can't remember what the actual stats on it were, but cars are bigger than, say, what they were two decades ago. The SUVs are heavier vehicles, so therefore they emit more carbons is the argument that's put forward. And the reason for penalising SUV drivers is the hope that people will, when they go to buy a new car, that they won't opt for an SUV, that they'll go for a smaller car instead. But as so many people pointed out when we discussed this yesterday, so many drivers of SUVs, they say they've no choice. If you live in a very rural area with bad roads, an SUV, you're safer in it. And somebody was pointing out they changed to an SUV because they were sick of all the repairs that they had on a normal car, which they don't have. SUVs are designed to take more that bashing that you get on some of our bad roads. Hi Patricia, I would like Eamon Ryan to please come out to Balancolic and drive a truck truck up Maglin Road. We had a fine wide road once upon a time, but then the green agenda took over. They put in footpaths. Well, footpaths would be good. They put in bike lanes, grass area. Two trucks now can barely pass each other. It makes no sense at all. 0818 103 103. And then on the burning of the latest arson attack, the latest one is a house that was recently sold in Leakslip in County Kildare. It's been confirmed by by the Department of, Inter- of Integration that they never considered the property for refugee accommodation. But unfortunately, there was a significant volume of misinformation and rumours in relation to the proposed use of the building. And I think somebody actually went to the bother of printing up leaflets telling people in the area that this seven bedroomed dormer bungalow was going to be used for to house refugees and then lo and behold what happens in the early hours of yesterday morning it was put on fire and I've seen the pictures today it's absolutely destroyed Uh, it is I mean to me looking at it I'd say you'd have to knock the building and uh, rebuild it anyway uh, this is from Michael says Patricia the idea of protesting against people or owners who are letting out their property especially to foreigners is an extremely dangerous exercise exercise in society overall with some very, very long-term consequences. As the law stands in this country, any registered owner of a property can rent or lease it to a person or people of their choice. It is your property at the end of the day to do with as you please. Now this burning of properties is a darker side of how this protesting is developing and it must and has to be taken extremely seriously. Those who are carrying out these acts and so far have not been apprehended are not, in my opinion, the people behind it. 
but they are paid by those who are responsible as those who are lighting the fuse are highly skilled in their field of destruction. Thanking you, says uh, Michael. Well, all we can do is hope what the Gardaí, there has been some arrests, but I know a lot of criticism that the Gardaí are not moving quicker on catching the perpetrators and prosecuting the perpetrators. We've had 18 arson attacks on properties uh, in this country since January of last year. So in 12 months, 18 arson attacks. And what's killing is some of the properties were never earmarked for refugees but even the ones that were earmarked to refugees are we saying that we would prefer a building to burn to the ground rather than see people who are some sleeping in tents at the moment are the one that I I was so glad to hear that people have been arrested in connection with the arson attack in the former pub in Dublin. It was a former pub and a guest house and that was being done up to house Dublin families you know, to get, to get put them into one of these family hubs and get them out of hotels. And that was burnt on uh, New Year's Eve. But three have been arrested there and, and we'll wait and see uh, when they go before the courts um, as to uh, what happens. 0818-103-103. Our lines are open and we are, as a reminder to you, looking for your pet questions for Jane Pickett. You can get those in or you can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See corkcoco.ie. Carrigaline Alzheimer Cafe. Now that will be held in the Carrigaline Family Support Centre. This afternoon between 3 and 5. This month, Hidden Hearing will give information on supports available for hearing well. To register, you can call Karen 087 348 The Mount Hillary Athletic Club in Bantir are holding a five-mile road race on Mother's Day. When is Mother's Day? Sunday the 10th of March. Entry is €15. Euro. It's through eventmaster.ie and the first 200 to register will receive a custom-made buff. Ardfield Rathbarry Gardening Club are meeting this evening, 8 o'clock in the Parish Hall in Rathbarry. They're hosting Lorna O'Regan with a healthy food workshop. There'll be food tasting, teas, coffees and raffle. All are welcome and admission is €10. Free classes in iPad and smartphone use will run in Lenamore Community Centre on Thursdays in the morning and then on Thursday afternoons there's a free art and craft classes between 2 and 4 o'clock. If you'd like more details on any of those classes, call 086 8239147. Kildallery Community Development, their weekly lottery draw will be today at 4. Jackpot €12,300. And good luck to everybody in the TY students at Colosh de Mira in Butterwind. They're opening with their production of High School Musical uh, tonight and it runs again tomorrow, Friday. Butterwind GAA Hall starting at half past seven with tickets on sale in Centra in Butterwind and from the school uh, office. And finally, for this evening, McCroom Flower and Garden Club are holding their AGM, Cool Car House, tonight at seven. It'll be followed by a mini floral demonstration by Betsy Flores. That's at eight. Your annual membership, please, is due tonight. Further information, 87 9821708. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. 
Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. Mary, one of our listeners has been on by WhatsApp. Uh, any advice, please, uh, people in Mallow? She wants to know, is there any walk-in beauticians manic, that, do, that does manicures in uh, Mallow. She's finding it very hard to get a, an appointment. Uh, certainly off the top of my head, I don't know anywhere you can walk in and get a manicure unless you go around to all of the beauticians that do it and in the hope that there might be, you might just arrive when there's a cancellation. I know certainly the nail technician that I go to, I book weeks in uh, advance, but we'll throw it out. Anybody know a walk-in manicure in the Mallow air, area? Ma- Mary is interested, please. Thanks to Tom and Donora uh, highlighting a scam. He says he's, he received a call this morning to claiming to be from uh, a bank. I don't know if it was his bank or not. But the call said that $600 had been removed from his account for purchasing an iPhone. Now he said it was a scam uh, call. But he said it certainly was a new one on him and he hung up straight away just to make people aware. Haven't heard of that one. But they, they change, don't they? They change all the different types of scams they do in the hope that by changing them they'll catch people out in the early days until people get to know you know the Amazon one was doing the rounds for ages telling you your Amazon account was going to be suspended but then everybody got wind of it and realised it was a scam and I've heard very few people getting a call now from Amazon I think that one is dead in the water so this could be a new one claiming that you bought an iPhone so please be aware of that just actually well it is a scam in the sense that money is going out of people's accounts because of it Remember these these students that we spoke about in uh, Kerry who were involved in criminal activities? Many of them didn't realise that they had become money mules. Well, two of them, uh, one of the young men and one of the young women involved, are speaking out because they want to warn uh, others. Uh, The students have revealed how they got caught up in this world of crime without realising what they were getting involved uh, in. The young woman said at the time it was a friend of hers approached her and she said it was a friend that she really trusted and the friend said are you interested this is a way of making some quick cash it's nothing serious to do it all you have to do hand over your bank account details and you'll make a quick buck and you know you won't get into any kind of trouble so unfortunately because it was a friend of hers that approached her she agreed to do it handed over her account uh, details and basically then the criminal group took control of her uh, account now obviously these two young people uh, are remaining anonymous but they've come out because they wanted to warn others of just how easily it is to get sucked in and for people to be uh, careful. The young man is a college student. He said he too was approached by somebody he knew, but he admits he had no idea what he was getting involved in. He said, I was approached by somebody about a way of making some easy money, he said, which at the time he thought was to do with cryptocurrency. So he thought it was all above board. He said, I gave them my card details. And then he said, I started to realise very quickly that €10,000 had been put into his account and then it was quickly uh, removed. Now, both are part of a campaign to try to raise awareness of the dangers of falling into this money mule trap. And this money mule trap is something you need to talk to your young people uh, about because so many, like these two young people, get sucked in and didn't realise what was going uh, on. Now, money mules are people, what they do is they temporarily lend their bank account to criminals. The criminals then deposit sums of money from scams. Now, some of those scams could be telephone scams like for example uh, Tom for example he might have 
if he had thought that that was a genuine call, if he had given his details, so the money would go from Tom's account. It has to quickly go to another account. It would go into one of these money mule accounts. That's where it gets laundered and then it disappears and then there would be no hope of Tom getting his money back and the money mule is caught in the uh, middle of it and they're helping to launder money. Now, the young man and the woman's experience have now been recorded by Angarda Shiakona and they're using it to try to warn others of the implications and the potential dangers. So it's a Garda campaign that is uh, been in association with local credit unions and it follows a Kerry investigation into money mules. Now, when they started looking at the Kerry area, they uncovered 1.3 million of money laundering that involved more than 60 students. It was Operation Mullet and it was first, we spoke about it just last week. Now, the operation actually began a couple of years ago, it was March of 2021. And at that stage, the Gardaí were unaware of the scale of the problem. I mean, they certainly didn't think that they were going to be discovering 1.3 million of money laundering. And I don't think they realised that up to 60 students were involved. And what emerged was a significant money laundering operation. And it mainly involved teenagers in Tralee. Now, primarily, it was secondary school students, but they did and the secondary school students mainly were recruited through sporting uh, clubs. Most students involved were all attending school at the time and there were some that had gone on to third level education. So they ranged in age from 16 to 20 and of course a lot of 16 year olds will have their own bank cards and that's what the money mule is uh, looking for. But then the fact they were between 16 and 20 when they started the investigation, many of those now when they get to the courts are 18 so they're going to be treated as uh, adults. There has been more than 30 prosecutions arising just out of the investigations in uh, Tralee and the young woman said that she was asked to go down for an interview to the guard the station. She said it was very nerve-wracking. She was put into a cell and had to wait there. She said it brought stress and disappointment to me, to my family and to her poor parents. She said she was sitting in that cell thinking I'm after ruining my life what's going to happen at the end of all this I won't be able to travel will I ever be able to get a good job she said I was really scared of what the outcome was going to be and the young man in question said he didn't realise that he'd done anything wrong or anything illegal at the time because he thought it was cryptocurrency he was involved with but then he got the phone call the dreaded phone call from the Gardaí to say you need to come in to speak with us he said he was officially arrested he said it was his first experience of ever being uh, arrested He said, I was looking at a conviction and he said, I instantly started to think I've ruined my future with this silly mistake I've made. He said his biggest plan had been to travel to Australia. But of course, now he'll have a criminal record and that won't be possible. And he said at the time he didn't realise the consequences were so uh, dire. So please talk to your young people about money at mules. 0818103103. And just very briefly, let me stay with scams. This is an email into Cork today at c103.ie that we received uh, this morning. And this was just yesterday evening. My husband's parents were scammed by a person saying he would clean their driveway. They came in the dark and pretended to start cleaning. Only that a neighbour of my in-laws rang my husband and told him what was going on. So my husband immediately went to his parents' house. They were still there attempting to do the cleaning. Now, bearing in mind, it was in the pitch dark. They were very intimidating and they were very threatening to my husband. Now, my husband... 
managed to eventually get them uh, to leave, but it was a very threatening situation. But unfortunately, they did get away with the money that my my in-laws paid them. Please tell people to be careful of this. It's in the Bosovant and broader uh, area. We need to highlight this as it will keep happening and it's very concerning. They will keep going back or they'll move on to different areas because that's what they do as well. So please. And they have a tendency to target older people because they know that if they arrive at the door of a younger person, they'll say, no, off you go. I don't need my driveway uh, cleaned and, and they will be gone. So please warn people if your driveway needs cleaning, go and employ somebody locally somebody that you know or somebody that comes recommended to you do not engage any workman that close to comes to your door rings on your doorbell who you didn't invite and offers to do any kind of work just avoid them like the plague just be very polite but get them away from your front door and speak please to older people about the day older people are just very trusting when somebody comes like that so please if you have older parents or grandparents please speak to them about it we're off to the island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where our resident vet Jane Pickett uh, joins us. Good afternoon, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And I'm told you're nice and relaxed after your break. Oh, I can't complain. I was off. I was off somewhere very sunny for a wee while, so I'd love to say I came back with a tan, but with good old Irish skin, I have. I have just burned. But I am very relaxed. <laughs> That's good. That's good. OK, let's get straight into uh, questions because Margaret in Blackpool doesn't sound like she's very relaxed at the moment because she said her dog has taken to jumping up on the sitting and living room on the good armchairs, even though he has his own armchair with a blanket on it. If a bedroom door is left open for a minute, he's straight in and lying on the beds. What can I do to stop him? Yeah, this is a really challenging one. I'd love to say that there was an easy solution, but there's not. I have to. I, I, I suppose what I'd say is think about yourself. If if you were in a lovely house and the door was open and there was a nice cosy bed there, you might. And it was your own house. You'd probably you'd probably walk in and, and have a little lie down if it was nice and cosy, rather than lying on the floor or lying in the crate. And similarly with the sofa, if he has his own little sofa bed that has a little blanket on it. He probably thinks, well, that one's lovely, but I'll try this one out, which is your own one that you don't want from going on. But he probably doesn't differentiate a huge amount between one armchair from the other. It is a little bit of a difficult one. I think if you do want to stop him getting onto certain items of furniture, so the easiest thing to do is, I suppose, restrict access. Access, that's a simple way of dealing with, let's say, him jumping on the bed. It's just make sure the doors are closed, because I think that's a very difficult thing to police. He's probably going to do it when you're not around watching him anyway, so you won't be able to kind of retrain him out of it. So I'd probably just take take the easy win there and just restrict his access to the bedrooms if you don't want him jumping on the bed. But let's say when he's in with the family, you know, of an evening watching TV, just try and encourage him to pop on his own armchair. It might be that he wants to get on your armchair because he wants some cuddles. It might be quite quite a nice kind of whole process behind it. He might just want a little bit of proximity and cuddles. Um, it really depends. You know, some people are very comfortable with them sitting up with them on their own armchair. Some people are not. It's a very personal decision. If you've decided you just want him to sit on his own armchair, then you have to be really, really consistent. You have to make sure that his armchair probably looks a bit different and smells a bit different to your one. So a good thing, it sounds like you've already done it, is a, is a, a specific blanket that's on his chair. It could be a really useful tool. You can try and train him that he can only lie down on that blanket, but it needs to be quite kind of a as an obvious one, not similar to other soft furnishings that are in the room because he'll, he won't really be able to, to differentiate the difference. But I think the main thing is consistency. If he tries to jump up on the, the sofa that you don't want him on, just really quietly placing him back on the floor and maybe taking him over to his own armchair, 
encouraging them to lie down there, giving a little bit of attention there before you settle back into your own armchair. But you have to be consistent with it. There's no kind of nice soft race. They are sure he can sit on the sofa with me this evening. That's fine if that's what you want to do long term. Lots of people do. That's what I do with my own at home. But if you want him to sit in his own place, he will get so confused that sometimes he's allowed up to sit with you and sometimes he's not. So, you know, just got to make things easy for him. Pick what you want to do and be be consistent with it. Okay. And, and maybe a little bit of a reward helps as well. So if he sits on his own chair, giving him a little more sort of something tasty, sometimes he'll begin to associate sitting on the chair with getting a treat. That's, that's a good one, yeah. And make the arm, his little armchair as comfortable as possible. Absolutely. Yeah. He wants a nice place to sit, yeah. like you do. So just okay. make it cosy. Okay. Hi, um, Jane, my 12 year old cat. He has been a good weight and in general good health. But then just before Christmas, he started losing weight and was actually vomiting quite a lot. He looks thin and lost weight, even though he was hungry and eating. Took him to the vet who did blood tests. They suspected things like kidney issues, diabetes, or thyroid. All the blood tests came back fine. They couldn't find anything. He got an antibiotic and he did seem to improve a little bit. But he's still not right. He's still thin. He is hungry and eating, eating, but he doesn't seem to be putting back on the weight of only found the odd vomit what else do you suggest can be done or will it just take time for him to get the weight back on him Mm, if he still doesn't seem right in himself although he sounds like he's improved from what he was before Christmas if if you still don't feel he's right in himself then I think you probably warrant further investigation it sounds like you've done a really great job you know it sounds like you've intervened at the right time taking your pet to the vet getting some good baseline investigations done which is brilliant and that's a lot of information although it may not have found the answer of what's going on it's a lot of really helpful information because that helps to rule things out. It narrows things down. So it's still very much worth doing. What I would say is I'd really recommend just representing with your vet, with your cat, and just say, look, he's improved, but he's not quite right. You know, there's lots of other things that can be done to investigate weight loss or, you know, changes in demeanour. And they can be, let's say, imaging. So sometimes a belly scan, a chest scan. There's other blood tests that you can move on to that are a little bit more specific or not, let's say, the first line ones that we would do and presented with a, a cat or a dog with a similar presentation. But your your vet, it sounds like they've done a, an amazing job getting you started on the road of diagnostics, but they, they won't know that he's not fully right in himself. They won't know that he's not fully recovered unless you let them know that he's not quite right. So I'd really just engage with your vet again, just outline your concerns that he's not quite right but he's improved and where do we go from there it really depends on a huge number of things as to where where your vet will suggest you go from there and that will be the investigations that are currently undergone and particularly how he is on his physical exam now and that will help your vet to, to guide the path of diagnostics if they are needed ongoing look it is possible he might have just lost a lot of weight before christmas and was unwell and he might just need a little bit more recovery period time but we are dealing with a, a pet here that's in their in their more senior years so 12, 13 for cats, you know, they still tend to have plenty of years left in them, but they are on the older side. So we don't tend to dilly-dally with kind of postponing things when they're that age because they don't have as much of a, a kind of a reserve for being unwell as a younger cat would. So what I would suggest is I, I, w- I wouldn't hesitate to represent. It's just a precautionary measure. And I think it's probably time that he's still not better and it's, and it's February even though he was unwell before Christmas, he'd be hoping that he'd be getting back to righteous reign if that was truly the, the problem before. OK, somebody else who's got an older pet has a question for Jane. It's a 15-year-old Jack Russell. Now, this is unusual. His bark has changed in the past couple of days. It's gone what I can only describe as squeaky and he sounds like a different little fella. Uh, would you have any idea what would be causing it or should I take him to the vet? What would cause a change mm. in a bark? 
things, really. So sometimes our the bark noise is made exactly like us speaking. It's made by our voice box in our throat. And anything that causes, I suppose, inflammation or swelling of that voice box can change change your voice. Think of yourself when you have a little bit of a cold and your, your throat is a bit sore. You sound a bit different. You sound a bit gravelly. Similarly with dogs and cats, if they have any swelling of their voice box, it can sometimes make them sound a little bit, little bit gravelly in the bark or conversely a bit squeaky. That can change things. With dogs, however, there are some other things that can cause kind of a squeaky bark. Sometimes problems with the airway itself, so the upper airway, the windpipe. Um, that if, if they're having issues with that being kind of structurally sound, it can kind of sound quite squeaky and honky if they're having trouble with that. Or similarly, they, if they have something stuck in their throat, that can cause swelling that might change their voice. There's a number of things that could be going on here. I suppose similar to our previous caller with an older pet, we have a 15-year-old little Jack Russell there. We want to make sure, you know, we're getting on top of things quickly for him because he sounds like he's an older boy. So I would suggest if it's been this way for a day or two, it's not resolving, I would present to your vet and just, you know, let him know what's been happening. A really helpful thing, actually, is if, if the bark is happening sometimes at home and you're, you're seeing the squeakiness, take a little video with audio on it. That's actually a really helpful thing to, your vet, to bring to your vet. I know it might sound silly, but a lot of the time... The description is a little bit difficult for us to imagine, but if we see a video and hear the noise, that's actually a really helpful. It'll help, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, if you can okay. get a little video, that'd be great. Okay, and uh, Danny, four-month cockapoo, new addition to the house. Everything Going well, training, trying to do the house, uh, tr- trying to toilet train, getting there. But the problem that they have is uh, this little cockapoo will only eat dry food out of a family member's hand. He won't eat from a dog bowl. What's going on there? Oh, this, this little pupper um, is, I'd say, enjoying the little connection that he's having with the member of the family when he's eating. And um, that's probably the most likely thing. Now, one thing I would say is just make sure that he's not tender or uncomfortable eating the food. If he's really munching into that dry food and happy and happy to eat and he just, just really just has a solid preference from eating from a hand rather than from a bowl, then, you know, we can probably rule out any physical issues. But if you feel he's uncomfortable and is reluctant to eat, present to your vet just to get his mouth checked in case he has any loose teeth or anything that's bothering him. It sounds like he just has a really strong preference from eating from a hand. And I think first thing I would do would be maybe, you know, sit with him and encourage him to eat from the bowl. Sometimes they just feel like they need a little bit of encouragement and connection when they're young and they're adapting to a new household. But obviously, you know, we can't be sitting there all day feeding them out of his hands for the rest of their life. So maybe it's the bowl that's involved as well. So try a different bowl. Make sure it's big enough to accommodate all of his head and not have his whiskers touching off the side because sometimes they find that a little bit weird if they're not used to it. So make sure it's a nice, big, wide bowl um, that you're putting the food into so that he doesn't have anything that's deterring him from sticking his head in. Um, and just maybe try a different type of bowl. So if the bowl you have is metal, try a try a pet-safe ceramic one or a plastic one that's pet-safe. Sometimes small changes like that can really help. Okay, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat to you next Thursday. You too. Thank you, Thanks Patricia. a million. That is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you for Friday's edition of the programme tomorrow at 10. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.